Hi, everyone. Welcome back to For the Girls. We are so excited today to be joined by Blake Hinsey, otherwise known as Break, to his many loyal fans. He was a performance engineer for a decade, first at Force India and then at Red Bull for over seven years. He was the trackside performance engineer for Checo at Force India, then at Red Bull for Daniel Kvyat for 2015 to 2016 seasons, and then he was the trackside performance engineer for none other than Max Verstappen for the 2016 to 2017 seasons. He then became a simulator performance engineer and left F1 in 2021 to become an F1 content creator where he has hundreds of thousands of followers across YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitch. So much awesome content. And he also launched a podcast this past year with Engine Mode 11 called Engine Breaking, which you should definitely check out. And we'll talk about all uh, what everyone can see on all your different forms of content. We're so excited. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. I know it, it took a little while. Last year was crazy. And I was like, I definitely, <laughs> if, if there's three ladies talking about Formula One, <laughs> I want to get involved. I want. I want to chat to you guys. So, thank you so much for being patient with me, and thank you for um, thank you for inviting me to come speak with you today. We are so honored. So, I think it would be awesome to start for us and for our listeners just to talk to us a little bit about your background. You have an undergrad degree in mechanical engineering, a master's in motorsport engineering. How did you get into F one first as a sport, and then how did you know you wanted to pursue it as a career? And adding on, how did you get into it as an American? That, okay, yeah. I think I think that's where we start. I think yeah. that's where we start. <laughs> Good job. And I, was, and I was thinking about this today. I think I stumbled into it. I didn't know what I was getting into. And I'll, I'll explain that. So probably when I was 18 or so, one of my dad's friends said, hey, we've got this race car. It's a spec Miata. So it's a, it's a spec series. They're relatively inexpensive. I say relatively, it's still expensive. But um, you know, somebody was like, we've got a race car that we're not using. We've got some new faster cars and we've got these Miatas that we're going to keep. You and your dad want to come drive these. Cool. Great. So a couple track days later, it's like, right, we bought another car. Then we started racing every weekend. It's like, cool. And then it was like, okay, my thing was, I want to go faster. Like, what do we do? Like, how do I understand this thing? And I was like, okay, well, I probably should be a mechanical engineer. Mechanical engineers do race cars, right? That uh, the university that I found, University of Texas Arlington, had a spectacular Formula SAE program, which we call it in the states or in the in Europe, it's Formula Student. It's a design, build, race, collegiate competition. Uh, it's it's amazing. You don't have to do it, but a lot of people that do it end up very well off, and it was it's awesome. And that kind of kicked it off. So Formula Student, Spec Miata, and then I was like. Formula One. It's cool. Like I, I've got an engineer. I'm getting an engineering degree. What should I do? I want to be a racing engineer. Um, I applied for a couple of NASCAR teams and IndyCar teams. They told me you need experience. I was like, yeah, that's that's where you come in. Like, no, no, no. I was like, okay, okay. Um, somebody point. Somebody turned me on to Oxford Brooks University, um, which has a master's in motorsport degree. Fortunately, it's in the United Kingdom, where ninety percent of the teams are. Eighty percent of the teams are. So it's like, okay. I'm going to put together some cash, pull some strings, see what I can do. Because moving abroad is expensive. Um, How old were you when you just moved well, abroad? I was 26. So I, I did a, I was pretty slow to start into, you know, a lot of people go to university in the States when they're 18. I'd, I did the community college for a couple of years. I didn't know what I was doing, honestly. And it's like, people are like, wow, you must have been really focused. It's like, no, no I had <laughs> no idea what I'm doing. That's why I say, I feel like I stumbled into it, but 
it was one of those things where the everything I do I get super curious about and I go I go mental and this is one of those few things that happen to stick so well that's it sounds awesome. like that's where where your passion really lies so mm. stumbling into it is more like realizing maybe your full potential so <sighs> I, that's I awesome think, I, I think that's right it's, it's like re- having that realization but like at the time now if I, and I look back on that series of events it is kind of like you know, there was a chain reaction that happened. And like, I think everybody has one of those stories where it's like, if you don't have that one instance, that first thing that sets it off, i.e. your dad's friend saying, hey, we've got these race cars. You guys want to take them do a track day? I would have ne- I would have been doing something completely different. Like, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know where I've ended up. So that's pretty well, cool. So <laughs> we're the, glad the, that you're here. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm here too. And I'm glad I'm talking <laughs> to you guys today. But like, that was one of those weird things is like, so, okay, so, Brooks happened. Oxford Brooks happened. Um, and that was good for two reasons. It got me in the UK and it got me access to a visa, uh, which is mm-hmm. difficult to work abroad. So was, those, those, that was fantastic. And then uh, I got the job at Force India eventually after I finished my degree. I was applying, applying. Um, a friend actually put in a good word for me with his old boss. And he was like, okay, I got the interview. And I ended up taking this, I think... I don't know if I should say this or not, but I ended up taking like a second year student placements placement. They're like, wait, we can pay you peanuts because you, you, don't, you don't pay interns as much. And I was like, yeah, I, it's a foot in the door in vehicle dynamics, of course. So I did. So that that was my foot in the door. And I did vehicle dynamics uh, for eight months at Force India or something very short. What was it like your first day, just like showing up to work for an F1 team? Did you know what to expect? Did you know what you were getting yourself into? <laughs> no way. My my actually, my first couple of days at Force India were actually painfully boring. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so like any um, first job. Yeah, but, but it's it's weird because there's a there's a piece of hardware, um, a test rig called a seven post rig. And this is a basically simulation. Si- a, si- a suspension simulation rig that you put the chassis onto, you apply loads to the chassis and the wheels, and you basically are trying to optimize the suspension for grip and handling. That sounds really cool. And that was one of those things like, I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. you know. But imagine sitting in this room, it's cold, a little bit damp, <laughs> and you just have these hydraulic machines running for eight hours a day. And you're That's just there. Ex- <laughs> you, know, you know, you do three days of that in a row. And like, you know, I, I was I was asking everybody questions. I was just like, okay, what are you doing? Um, okay. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't get in the way when they're but like when the rig's running for a test cycle for a couple of minutes, there's plenty of time for me to ask people questions and like, right, what's this? Okay, you need help changing this suspension component. Cool, give me the tools, I'll help. It was weird, but it was like one of those really weird things. I was like, what have I gotten myself into? It got better. <laughs> it got better. Yeah, how did you transition to being a performance engineer? That's a that's a very funny story as well, because my the head of the race engineering team at the time um we talk with, between vehicle dynamics and race engineering we talk often and i was the new guy and i'm just like i'm getting to know people um i asked i asked him i was like hey this guy's called jacob i said hey i want to be a performance engineer one day what do i need to do like and he's like just keep doing what you're doing keep coming to the simulator all that stuff but like he's like these things take time and this was like five months into the job well, three months later, one of the performance engineers left the team abruptly. And they're like, we need a performance engineer for the Barcelona Europe. Grand Prix in three weeks. Oh, my God. So this this was this was 100% a baptism by fire. 
Like, oh. yeah. Oh my gosh. Going, going from working with the drivers and other vehicle dynamics engineering in the simulator, I would, you know, I was one of the people in the simulator uh, monitoring the data coming off the car, checking it to the expectations we had, checking it to the track data that we might have been correlating to to say, you know, is the model, or is everything right? Is it happy? And I was just in the background in the loop observing, you know, how they're interacting with the drivers. Um, we used our race drivers at the simulator. Um, we didn't have a test driver at Force India. And we were actually, we used McLaren's simulator as part of the program between mm. Force India and McLaren. So we were going to Woking to use their top state-of-the-art simulator that, you know, Jensen and everybody else was using at the time. And it was great. It was so cool. Um, but yeah, and then they're like, cool, you're going to be a performance engineer. We've got a test in Magellan. Uh, and then the next week is the race in Barcelona. I was like, oh my God. Cool. <laughs> uh, and it was it was uh i had no idea what i was doing for probably six months you know it's, it's okay. like one of those like you're, you're you're treading water every day and it's a pretty high pressure environment i cannot even imagine so tell us what is a performance engineer ah, what great our question. listeners need to know <laughs> yeah exactly so the way i think about it is you the people that you always see on the television you see the team principal uh you see the strategists on the pit wall uh, you see the race engineers and then you see the mechanics but there's a lot of people behind the scenes um also supporting stuff that you maybe don't see on the tv or don't appreciate until you start saying well who does that thing who does that thing the performance engineer basically acts as an extension of the race engineer so in terms of the race engineer will focus on the operation of the car so talking to the driver what's the run plan what are you testing how are you testing it um you know, liaising with the strategist, are we stopping our driver now for new tires? Uh, the performance engineer is the person that's often looking at one step more detailed, feeding that information back to the race engineer to tell him um, the performance looks like this. It looks like the tires might be heading this way or that way. The driver looks like he could break later here. So the performance engineer is, I mean, it, it sounds silly but like you're you're looking at a lot of the performance details and there's a couple different systems of that that other people might look at but a lot of the more generic driver vehicle behavior vehicle performance type stuff the performance engineer is looking at and then anything that's not under your speciality you're talking with arrow you're talking with vehicle dynamics like maybe one of the suspension components isn't behaving as you expect and you say you know the performance engineer guy is the one that goes and talks to that department or the, the performance engineer person, because there's actually quite a few um, women in the sport now, which was like when I started 10 years ago at, at Force India, it was, there wasn't that many uh, women in the pit lane. And it, like, now you're seeing more and more, you've got Hannah, you've got um, so many, so many more people, a lot of even mechanics, and everything else and this stuff like 10 years ago. And it's, it's super cool, but that's what the performance engineer does um, in short. And there's a lot of other stuff like, are the brakes working, the differential, the brake balance, uh, the person that's talking to the driver, showing them where they're fast or slow in the garage. You know, when you see the, you see the driver come back in qualifying, right? You see the screens come back down and they've got the, the air hose or the dry ice and the drink and they're looking at some screens. Often what will be happening in that scenario is the performance engineer and race engineer will be controlling one of those monitors and talking the driver through the lap um, and where they can find more performance out of the car. That and is that's, so exciting. It's, it, it's mental. It was mental. And it's like one of those things where you don't know what you're doing or how to interact with these these racing drivers that you've never met before, then you just realize they're just people. And uh, they, they have as much, like you're there to help them, and they know that. 
So that leads me to my next question. Like, what was it like just showing up, being trackside? Was there anything that was really surprising about how the race weekend worked? Um, I think I think there were a lot of things surprising about how they worked, like the timings of everything. This, you know, you know when the sessions are, but what are cutoffs for changing certain things? Um, you know, Saturday night you need to tell the guy that fuels the car how much fuel to put in the car to 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 cool the tank off in the morning. Um, the other thing that really caught me off guard is it seems like in England, everybody's got uh, a name, some slang name that they use. And some of them are, <laughs> some of them are quite foul, actually. I was like, you call him what? You know, it's like that, that actually took me an age because there are a lot of people with, you know, you go send some, you get an email from Chris and everybody calls him Steve. I'm like, what? <laughs> Did they have names like that for the drivers? No, not really. No, that would, I, be, that would that, be spicy if there was a yeah. like, code name. Code name. Yeah, this this one's this one's pee pants. Yeah, he likes yeah. to pee in the car. <laughs> drivers do that every now and then. It's not nice I'm when you're sure. helping the guys clean up the car, and it's like, sorry um, again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> again. Yeah. <laughs> what do you you know something, don't you? <laughs> no. What is. It, it, I mean, it must be so demanding and grueling when you're adjusting to all these time zones and for some of the Grand Prix where you stay on European time. What's kind of the procedure for you? Wake up at the hotel, you have the hotel breakfast, whatever, you get to the track. Like, how does all that work? Yeah. So, like, a lot of the time you will – Thursday or Friday, you might – Fridays, um, engineers and mechanics usually eat at the track. Thursdays, you might eat at the hotel. I think that's changed a lot in the last couple of years since COVID, and I think a lot of the teams – reordered how they did things to optimize it um but like i guess for travel jet lag sucks like going east if you go to shanghai uh melbourne my favorite thing for melbourne was we would fly we'd usually go something like london hong kong melbourne oh god which was mental it was something like 20, 20 something hours door to door but the way i got into fixing that and a couple of a couple of uh guys and i would always go out and cycle a couple days early melbourne's beautiful um you know it, it's um early in the year there the weather's great it could rain spontaneously but the weather's nice um the roads are decent the drivers are surprisingly mixed response to cyclists and there's cycle <laughs> lanes everywhere there's a huge cycling culture in melbourne um we got early we'd get off the plane we'd probably get back to the hotel at nine o'clock we take our bikes out of the boxes, rebuild them, and be on the road by midday and go cycle for six hours That's and then awesome. come back. That was when I was in good shape. Now, content creation, <laughs> I, I might have I might have let the the personal fitness slide a bit, but that was that was one of those ways. It's like you you do that, stay up until you know at least ten o'clock that night, um, and That's enjoy so it. Cool. And it, it's just one of those things like. Some days, like, you know, you see, you get there to a long flyaway Thursday morning, you're shattered Thursday. Friday's kind of rough and you've got free practice. And then by Saturday, Sunday, you're in the groove and uh, just looking forward to getting out and having a beer with everybody on Saturday night. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like you love Melbourne. Do you have a favorite Grand Prix from like an uh, in-person Suzuka. experience? Nice. Suzuka. Yeah. The Japanese fans are phenomenal. They're in They're so enthusiastic uh, the japanese people are super kind um suzuka melbourne i really like the european races like the, the old school european races like austria and belgium and stuff even even monza to some extent uh and austin's 
Austin's badass. Boss. Yeah, Austin's yeah badass. your home it turf. Was, <laughs> exactly. And it was it was great going there for the first year. I think it was in twenty I think it was twenty twelve. Must have been. Um God. and being like the local, everybody's asking you what to do. I'm like, <laughs> Tex Mex and barbecue, let's get yep. some beers. And um that was cool. Austin's a good city though. Austin's a lot of fun for a Grand Prix. It was the first one we went to, which was oh, such a blast. That had to yeah. be so cool. That had to be so How- cool. How does it work? Do you get to get out in the cities at all? Do you actually get to get out for barbecue in Austin or is yeah. it mostly just track hotel back? Uh, a lot of a lot of it is. So Thursdays can be long, but I think a lot of the way that the sport is changing from an operational point of view is to alleviate stress on the staff. Because let's be honest, 24 races away from home is good for nobody. It's only good for putting money in people's pockets. Yes. And those people are not doing 24 races a year. Some of them might be, uh, but they're sickos. But, you know, nobody wants to do 24 races. But um, can you get out? Yeah, definitely. Uh, usually Thursday night, uh, you can go out for a meal. Uh, Friday nights are usually fairly late. Saturday nights, you can get out. And often, uh, mechanics will usually fly back s- Mondays after the race. Um, but, like, engineers and marketing and stuff. And even the mechanics will go get out Sunday night. But a lot of the time, your engineering staff are flying back Sunday night. And you're back in the office on Monday getting ready for the next race and that's and that's when you come back the other way it's coming back home where the fatigue and stuff hits you because uh i went to my first grand prix as a spectator this year actually in in 2022 it was the austin grand prix i you know i'd been into the sport for 15 years working in the sport track side for six years all the races in this industry for 10 i'd never been to a grand prix as a spectator it was actually pretty exhausting yeah, I was going to say, did what was the difference? Did it disappoint not being like behind the scenes of it all? I don't want to say this. I hated it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> as in, as in I, I had to very consciously try to rewire my expectations because the way I, I – and, and the more and more I consume content, I talk to more people as fans or even other creators in the space um, – Everybody has different expectations and stuff. Oh, yeah. And I had to recalibrate massively because I was like, I don't know what's happening on the track and it's driving me insane. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I, I want to know, like, I was too, too tied up thinking like, you know, what's the gap? Uh, what was their lap time? What was their sector one time? You know, it's like all that stuff because those, those are the things that are, I struggle to switch off from. And it took me until the end of the weekend um, to sit back and enjoy the atmosphere, you know, and just take it for what it was it, and it was it was a very different experience for me so because i spent friday in the red bull garage um watching and that felt even worse because <laughs> i felt like it's tantalizing you know, yeah i felt like this i was like I, you, do you ever have one of those dreams where you've got an exam and you've forgotten about that exam do you know that yep. feeling oh yeah and it's a horrible feeling well imagine me stood in the middle of the garage in the spectator area watching everything happening i'm like i should be doing something like did i what did i forget i had nightmares after that and, and those those fueled it seriously it was like this very bad feeling so that was difficult to well uh, every race is different so hopefully you'll get yeah. the hang of it yeah exactly <laughs> and I, i'm looking forward to going back to a couple of races this year i'd love to go uh i don't think i can afford anything far far away but like austria or belgium and do some yeah. camping the, so cool spectacular beautiful countryside and those those races are in the middle of nowhere and i love it i love it the austrian yeah. countryside looks so beautiful it's stunning yeah, you could have it's, a 
actually Little sending camping, it. sound of music moment. Oh, exactly. And I, I would <laughs> I would seriously definitely recommend if you want to do that, book a couple days, you know, bookend it a couple days. Um, because you can go up to like in the spring and stuff, there's like the the resort ski villages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You can rent mountain bikes and cycle the cycle pass all through the countryside the full sound of music experience and it it is that stunning another trip we took uh bicycles up into the hills and it was one of the roads to a ski resort um you know it was it was tarmac paved for a couple miles and then we did a couple miles on steep gravel on road bikes which was very for me i wasn't used to that and it was pretty sketchy we get to the top um and you all you hear is the dull clang of about a hundred cowbells in the distance and there's just wind whooshing around and it was it was magnificent i fell in love there i was like i could stay here (laughs) that's awesome i'm imagining botas doing all this on yeah this is is definitely a valtteri with (laughs) his his mullet and him and his his cyclist girlfriend as well those two exactly so speaking of drivers as a performance engineer does your job change a lot or differ a lot depending on driver personality of driver all that so like going from checo to kvyat to max like what was that like honestly not really i i, I mean I, I think my experience also will probably differ greatly from other people um that performance engineer i know personally i know quite a few friends that have done the per- performance engineer well not even on my team but like you know colleagues and friends from oxford brooks that went on to other teams and stuff I think we'll all have a different answer. Personally, I felt like the driver's personalities were different, but what I needed to do didn't change that much. But um, I'm not very good at it, but you need to be a really good listener and you need to convince. Often you have to do the art of convincing people to trust, to, to try something and you have to make it their idea for them to want to do it. Because like, let's be honest, you've got um, a 20-something-year-old kid uh, who's propelled themselves all the way up to formula one you know 20 there's 20 of them at a time you know at the same time there's 20 of me in the world you know but 20 people doing the same job i'm doing at the same time but still um some of them they're big shots fortunately danny um deresta uh kvyat and verstappen weren't that person you know sometimes you'd have to be like you know, make it their idea and sell them on an idea or concept to help get more out of it, or at least try it. Because at the end of the day, it's like, listen, your teammates got two tenths on you. Mm-hmm. This is what we can see. Be sure to try it. And the, the driver that could do that and relay feedback back to you made the job easier. Like, for example, I didn't know what I was doing well enough to have that strong relationship with Duresta, the first driver I worked with at Force India. Checo came along. Checo's pretty chill out and laid back. I think that's pretty clear from the television. Um, Danny, Danny was chaos and fun. He's actually, he's actually one of my favorite people. I still, I still talk to him probably once a month. Um, and then Max was one of those guys like at at first, um, he was just a little bit frustrated because he's instantly fast. He, you know, his natural skill ceiling is insane. Um, people say, oh, you're biased, whatever. It's like, no, don't, don't tell me that. I've worked with like, I'm I've looking at the data. Drive. I've worked with <laughs> yeah. a couple of drivers. This guy's skill ceiling was insanely high and still is. Um, and he started off relative, very unrefined. You know, he had terrible nicknames like Crash Sap and all this stuff. It's like, because yeah, he crashes were, well, yeah, wild. exactly. But he was, but he was chaos. He was unharnessed. Um, it was, it was pretty easy working with Max because he made my job very easy because he got up to speed quickly. Um, and then I could spend my time 
fine-tuning details to help him find not a tenth, not half a tenth, but a couple hundreds. And uh, we had, you know, I, it was the same with all the drivers. We had really good working relationships. We got to the point where dialogue loops and discussing like topics like brake balance or the way the brakes are working or the way the differentials set up or uh, approaching a line for this corner, that corner. It was a really easy conversation. And it was just like the communication loops are very short and concise because we had spent quite a bit of time working together. And at the end of the day, Max spent most of the time being the faster of his teammates. Yeah. And usually when you're that person, you're like, I'm the benchmark right now. You know, so it's it, it's not that when, you, like, when you're slower than your teammates, like, oh, shit, what do we got to do? All right, pull this whole thing apart. Let's strip the car, change this, change that. We need a new chassis. This chassis is broken. There's no way we're slow today. Wow. Does it ever create kind of a weird dynamic in the garage when you're working for Max and he's setting the benchmark every single weekend compared to kind of the engineers for the other driver? Uh, sometimes, yeah, but it just depends on – that's a really interesting – like thing about the dynamic you have between your personnel that work with the driver. Um, some I've, I've seen times where the, you know, the engineers will, you know, there will definitely be tension. And then I've seen times where you have a performance deficit and you have collaboration and yeah. uh, acceptance. So, and but both of those things actually um, can be harnessed in a positive way, despite the fact that the tension sounds like a negative thing. Sometimes you can work it right, but more than more often than not, it does. It's a little bit annoying, but at the end of the day, you're probably going to go out and grab beers with the other car crew anyway. Or you, you probably definitely will. Like I, I don't. I haven't seen very many teams where the the race engineers don't talk to each other. Yeah. That's weird. That's it's, it's, that's also insanely unsustainable when you have to spend 24 weeks, you know, sitting across. Like imagine me to you sat across a table. In a, in a meeting room in an office, you've seen videos of, you know, the meeting rooms and the motorhomes and the flyway yeah. races. You're literally facing your counterpart often, you know, across three feet and a couple monitors. Yeah, that would be unpleasant if you didn't have a good relationship. <laughs> no way, yeah. From So it sounds like you guys all knew Max had the potential that he had and the raw skills, but were you, did you expect him to be a multi- world champion are you at all surprised with his dominance did you see that coming i am honestly more surprised not in max because i think from working with him in my the sample of drivers i've seen um i think he's definitely will become one of the greats and you could say it about any of the drivers when they they go on to, to kick everybody's ass for a couple of years you said it about michael we said it about seb we said it about lewis it's boring they're dominating fine I'm I'm more surprised, um, not not surprised because that implies I didn't think they could do it. I'm surprised the pecking order this year, especially the fact mm -hmm. that Mercedes had so many issues, not only with aerodynamic development, but also under the scenes behind that, there were probably a lot of um, they hedged bets on concepts and stuff with suspension and everything else that compounded those issues, which made them harder to recover from cost cap and the budget and everything else and then honestly i think lewis was pretty over it at the beginning of the season i mean after yeah. 2021 nobody's gonna blame him for being if he was over it um but he, he came right but uh, am i surprised not really um i mean and, and honestly like i i left at the end of 21 and i was 
I didn't really think much about, you know, because there's a lot of drama around that event. I don't think we need to talk about it too much. But it's like (laughs) at the end of the day, like my personal reaction to that was that was phenomenal. Yes, the the, you know, the final event uh, didn't happen in the way a lot of people thought it should. Right. But at the same time, it's like that's a lot of my hard work and all of my colleagues hard work for the past several years, Mm -hmm. you know, despite there's there's things that still have my fingerprints on them that you know the tools the guys are using and everything else so it's like okay but it was like so i didn't really think about that but i i think red bull could do it i'm surprised because red bull's a little bit of a chaotic team sometimes not in a bad way <laughs> but shoot from the hip cowboy you know they're, they're, yeah you know, we they're... wanted to ask kind of what the vibe is like inside red bull what's christian like as a leader um so christian i don't like i really don't like talking about like Christian and, and Helmet and, and Adrian at all, but I, w- I will say, um, he's just a he's a hands off dude. He, he p- appoints people that he trusts to do what they need to do, um, and he gets it done. And he looks after the team. And I, I don't. I think he's probably one of the best team principals in the sport. Um, I'm a Red Bull fan, so great to yeah. hear. I'm loving this. No, but like, <laughs> but I, I, I think also like. There's there's a lot of very interesting conversations to be had about because you can see the the way that Toto and Christian approach things seem quite different on on this outside and what we highlight from them maybe they're not so different after all but uh, I think Christian's an excellent team principal for sure and the, the let's talk about like the the mood and the attitude of the team um, I didn't you know being outside of the team this year I didn't get to be inside a team and see how the team reacted to sheer dominance I talked to a couple of my buddies and uh, they were just business as usual loving it but uh i think the team is a really chilled out environment like i, I wore a hoodie and jeans to work every day my first interview <laughs> with rocky rocky was wearing a hoodie and, and jeans they were travel awesome. jeans you know i was like so i was like okay <laughs> um definitely laid back and all of my experiences with the team where people trusted me to get on with my job um and that's and that's and that, you know that's down to individual managers of people some were more hands-on some were more micromanaging but I really enjoyed it. Like I felt like I had the tools I needed. I had the resources I needed. You know, I'd go to the gym every day because there was a gym on site and that's better than eating lunch at your desk. <laughs> that, that all changed down the road when I started, <laughs> when I started spending my lunch breaks to, to edit Warzone videos. But uh, more, on, more on that later. For sure. But, yeah, but like Red Bull was a really, really cool environment. And I see a lot of people in social media painting, trying to paint these toxic pictures that fit narratives and everything else because um they, they feel like red bull is in the wrong and red bull is the enemy team but it's not like that and if like you talk to anybody that knows what they're talking about and they will confirm to them that it's not like that but it, it sucks to see that a little bit but i guess you have that with anywhere else where there's really strong fan bases and people that are very passionate about stuff but at the end of the day it's it's, it's people like you and i yeah you know they're doing their jobs and the environment I had a blast working there. And if I've said this, if I go work for another Formula One team, probably the only team I would ever go back to is Red Bull. That's awesome. That's so great. And you know what? Like if you're if you're in the lead, no matter what, you'll always have a target on your back for better yeah. or worse. So it is what it is. Didn't Toto say that? Oh, there we go. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> did. But heavy is the head that wears the crown. It is. It is. Yeah. And I'm, I just, I'm working on a video about Seb's career. And it's funny you talk about that because, you know, you win – too often for too long somebody's going to make you the villain people 100%. are bored of seeing other people succeed people don't want to see other people succeed and i think that's a, a better reflection of the people 
holding those opinions together. But like at the same time, Seb did make himself very unlikable at times. We have but, talked about that. We have talked <laughs> about this a lot about his arc in particular. Oh, so cool! Though it's such a cool arc, though, and you see, you see the the four world championships, the uh, the villain one finger salute era, um, <laughs> clashing with teammates can't be in the wrong, you know. But but is is that something that makes these characters so unidentifiable to us? Because I don't, I'm not, I'll speak for myself. I don't feel like a world championship type of person, like do at any cost. But yeah. these, these drivers, like Alonzo's a good example. Yeah, that's why absolutely they're Absolutely cutthroat. And I, I think you'll see the same with Max. Max will have a villain arc that extends for an <laughs> age. And where is it going to end up? We don't know yet. We're just getting started, that's I think. That's the fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Let's see where it goes. You know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots? You can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion. Of course, you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch, but since we're in New York City, we've been getting creative. I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacova's is Western to their core and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacovas is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over $100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacovas. only at Tacovas.com. Well, speaking of this arc, because you've worked with so many drivers, before we move on, we'd love to get your commentary on Max and Checo as teammates. And I guess now you can throw Danny in the mix as the reserve driver. What is that yeah. like? Like, what, do you, well, what are your thoughts on it? Well, so I worked with Checo for Cyndia. Um, I worked with him in the sim at Red Bull. I, I saw him at the show run the other day. They did a, the Milton Keynes home run show run or the Milton Keynes home run. Yeah, which was their show run. And I saw him in the paddock and I was in the, the guest, the VIP area with everybody else. And uh, he was like, hey, do you have a job yet? And I was like, man, screw <laughs> you. He's, he's a funny guy. He's a super funny guy. Um, Checo is super laid back. Checo is super laid back. He wants to win. Um, he's not there just to make up numbers like anybody else. And the same goes for all of them. I think they all have a very similar thing that makes them drive, which a lot of the stuff I can't relate with because, you know, I, I'll, I'll push hard on whatever I'm doing to be successful. But They've got something else, and it makes them pretty impressive uh, athletes, let's say. But it's an interesting dynamic now that you've got Daniel back in uh, the third driver role, not the reserve driver role, the third driver role, which is some interesting oh, right. uh, nomenclature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Somebody said something like that, and they pointed that out. And I was like, hmm, are you trying to be funny? And I was like, no, that's actually what they said. And that's not, I was like, oh, wow. A contract stipulation, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, something something else. But I I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. I think you saw Max uh, hitting a stride. Checo having a little bit of a, a slow bit in the middle of the season. But we, we really don't know. Like us sitting here outside, we really don't know what the story is. Uh, there's narratives that Max had the uh, better components most of the season. And there's narratives that that, that wasn't the case. So... I don't know. I don't know. So in terms of from a performance point of view, uh, Max definitely did some work on Checo through most of the season. But and there was also the drama at the end, which is, you know, if we go back to the villain arc, we had that same stuff with Seb and everything else. 
which is super exciting. Um, and then Daniel, I think, I don't know what happened with Daniel in that car. I know for from personal experience, from being on the other car to Daniel when he was with the team, there's certain types of cars that he just doesn't get on with at all. There's nothing, there's no training that you can do. It's like this uh, subconscious muscle memory reflex level stuff. It's not, it's not in the conscious. It's not something that, and it's something that the way he's programmed that doesn't get on with a certain type of car. And I think the McLaren was like the, the worst version of that car. Hmm. And uh, he had a terrible season. That was, that hurt to watch sometimes. Rough. But I like Daniel. I actually, I really, really like Daniel. So I'm hoping that he gets another shot. Uh, I don't, I don't want to see them use Daniel as a, a bargaining chip to get, mm-hmm. I, I just want to see Checo and Max do well. And I want to see Dan find another seat or whatever happens. Who knows? Or or screw it. Let's just have some drama. I don't know. Give us, <laughs> give us something to talk I about. I mean, we are here to stir the pot, so we want the drama. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Right. F1 right. usually doesn't disappoint in that. No, exactly. And like realistically, it doesn't need us to stir the pot. We're just sitting here <laughs> yeah. like, have you stirred it yet? Have you stirred it yet? Exactly. Like, We're yeah, here we waiting. Yeah, we all the team principles. Let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was crazy. That's so nuts. switching gears a little bit, how did you decide to leave Red Bull? And pursue content full time. And what's that like? Tell us about your life now. I think we I think we talked about it before we started recording. I said it's yeah. terrible. It's not terrible. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. So I guess you guys will you guys will be really familiar with this because you you have normal normal jobs and then you also do content on the side. So you you're burning the candle at both ends often, I'm assuming. And that was where I started. So COVID hits, I started my girlfriend got me into watching streamers on Twitch video games watching watching kids play video games on the internet which is so far away from what that is as a business and a professional level but on the surface that's what it is so i uh it was covid we're locked down i started streaming games on twitch i started playing warzone call of duty game and uh streaming to a couple people say all my friends are on like we'll hang out and that started growing and growing and i started building an audience and community around this game that i loved i was like okay that's cool um two years go on i'm still doing that i got to the point where i was trying to make content, uh, which is very, gaming content is very saturated and very difficult. If you ever think the Formula One space is saturated, look at Warzone gamers. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's a, a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of people and a lot of talented people and a lot of talented people that, you know, don't quote, make it, which when I see those people struggling, I'm like, oh my God, that, that, that guy or that girl is insane. They're so good. At, they're so talented and they're, they're it's difficult. Um, I got to the point where I was kind I felt like I ticked all the boxes in Formula One. I was, you know, I was on the, the road to be a race engineer. That's an, that's an understatement, I think. No, I, but like, <laughs> I, I, from a personal level, I felt like like there wasn't that much else I wanted to do. Um, and the workload was demanding enough that it kept, free, kept me from exploring all the other things that had piqued my interest over the past 10 years. Because I went basically from the time I was 20 until the time... Uh, until I finished traveling. So that was something like 25 plus until, until I was 30 or something. I basically spent, I was flat out. I hadn't, I didn't take very many vacations. Like when I was traveling, you know, you get August off and I'd go home in December for Christmas. But it was like one of these things is like, I want to do something else. So I started thinking about it. I was like two years had gone by. I was doing Warzone and gaming content and it was going okay. And it was to the point where it's like, if I full sent on it, at that point, I could cover my mortgage. I was like, okay, why not? 
like, you know, why not? You know, if I've got a safety net, I can full send, I can try this. I can go back. I'm not burning any bridges. Um, arguably, there's some people on Twitter that told everybody that I got fired because I was crap at my job. I was like, that's funny. We love Twitter. <laughs> that's funny. You're really good at typing into Twitter, but I guess, I guess you don't, I guess you know better than me. But um, yeah, I was like, why don't I try, try this? And then it got really bad because I realized that gaming content was something I enjoyed and I was passionate about, but it was not my passion. Interesting. You know, I, I, I was going to struggle to turn that into a career and I was going to struggle to scale that. And honestly, um, I felt like it was a bit of a lottery, whether or not I could scale that into making a, a reasonable, like a safe income. I don't, I don't need to make a lot of money. I need to make enough money right now um, to pay my bills. You know, if anything happens, I need to go home and see my family. I can buy, I buy a plane ticket back to the States. Fine. I was like, wait a minute. I was talking about doing this. Do I do it? Do I don't do it? Let's make Formula One content because it's like there's there's a huge gap. There's a couple of uh, outlets sharing educational Formula One content, but not very many of them. And, you know, most of them are interviewing other people. I was like, I am other people. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, as in like I, ha I, have, I have some things that I can share that there's nobody doing that stuff. So I was like, why don't I start doing that? So I linked into that very heavily from probably March of 2022. And it's been going so well. And yeah, your YouTube videos are just so good. And yeah, really help explain appreciate the that. engineering side to um, yeah. those of us who are not engineers, which I'm, is super I'm, helpful. Yeah, I'm trying really hard to get to the point where I can cover basics and make them accessible for people that um, may not be necessarily interested on in the nitty gritty details of engineering, like make them accessible and then sometimes deep dive on topics and sometimes what I've been trying to experiment with lately is, you know, going really basic and trying to pull new people in. And every time I do that, I see the demographics of the videos and it's a lot more younger people, you know, not your, not your 25 to 35 to 40 year olds. It's your 18 to 24s that are starting to watch this stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's what gets me excited is getting young people excited about the sport because we're, we're, we're into it. You know, we're, we're in the ecosystem now, but like, what about the young people and those yeah. young people that want to maybe be engineers or the young men or women that don't know they want to be a Formula One engineer. It's like, you can do it. I could do it. Like, come on. I'm sitting right here with this neon lights in my office. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. It's so exciting to see the younger people. And we see that a lot too in our kind of listener base. Yeah. It's a lot of like mothers and their daughters or just parents and their kids all listening together. And that nothing, I don't think anything warms our heart more than that. That is, so that is literally like, if, if there's no other reason to do this, it's for that honestly yeah it's so that, nice. is, that is the thing that gets me excited and um but yeah that is that is so cool so i mean like that's that's kind of what got me into doing this and i i've said this before and i'll say it again it's because it's i'm new to it but I, th I think content creation is harder than engineering <laughs> it's definitely I, very I, different <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely very different and when you spent your you know 15 years educating and and doing uh, and then you have to change gears into a creative topic i'm not that type of creative person. So I'm learning a lot right now. And it's like that first year of like the learning curve. And like, like, I'm sure you guys had the same thing when you started the podcast. Like, how do we do this? How do we structure it? How do we market it? How do we reach new people? And it was, it's one of those journeys that's super fun. And I think you nailed it. It's like when you, when you have young people that are, uh, you're having impacts on them and inspiring them or informing them. And they're, they're excited and sharing that with their people. It's like, okay, this is why I'm doing that. Yeah, it's definitely been a journey and we're basically only doing, you know, our Instagram 
on, we're a little bit on Twitter and our podcast, but you're like across so many different platforms. So when you started in March doing all of this, did you notice that like you liked one platform better? What's it like going across the platforms? And then have you noticed like a huge mm. influx of other F1 content as well? I feel like when we started, it was just so much going on. Yeah. I think that's interesting. And I, it's one of those things I'm learning all of them. So the podcasting I just started doing recently and it was the podcast for me is like the most chilled out thing that I get to do because it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's like having conversations with you. It's, it's, it's fun. It's relaxed. It's candid. You know, it's not too structured. You guys are, you guys are very organized. I love it. But um, <laughs> thank you. So, so it started off um, short form content, you know, short TikTok, Instagram reels. Those are super good because they give you such organic and viral potential reach outside of the audience that you already have. You know, those, those algorithms will find people totally. that, that want to consume those things and serve it to them. Um, it also had, they also have lots of good analytics tools, which give you feedback that you can use to infer how good it was and what you can do to improve it. So as an engineer, that's one of the things I love. I'm like, okay, right. So the analytics for this video, the audience, the retention and everything else. Uh, and then I really started doing full sending on content on Twitch, doing live stream race watch along. So I watched the race uh, my community and people will come onto Twitch and watch the race on their side, and then we'll interact and talk about it live as it's happening. And I offer a different layer of commentary than you'll get on your local broadcast platform. Um, and then that's been using all those short form content platforms to promote that. And we've seen crazy growth on the Twitch platform as a result of that. So it's like finding in the ecosystem all these pieces of content where they work. And then YouTube's this other great big beast that I just started working on for the first time. And March, April, you know, publishing long form content. Originally, I was like, I go back and look at that stuff. It's like, I would never post that today. But that's the beauty of it. You don't know where to start. Yep. You don't know where we, to start. Yeah. You have to do. That's the only way to learn it. You have to do. You can study the greats all you want. The first things you're going to do are possibly terrible. That's okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So it's like, it's accepting that. But it's, it's also like, I guess, one of the things is like struggling where to put effort and attention because right now I'm one person and now I have, okay, I have an editor and a thumbnail person that help me and they're good. And I have somebody that helps me write a little bit, uh, you know, on stuff that I'm really struggling with. I'm like, Hey, can you, you know, re re review this, revise it, or can you re do some research for me? Cause it's like live streaming, TikTok, short form content, long form YouTube content, planning that, and then planning the ecosystem for all that. Like, oh no, it's, a, it's crazy. <laughs> but it's fun. Cause it's like, I think you probably have the same thing in your job. It's like you're firefighting. I guess, yeah, it's firefighting. You're like herding cats, and I am all the cats. And ADD is crippling. <laughs> and you have a real cat. Yeah, yeah. two cats. Two real cats. But it's different, I think, in a job where it is just you. Like you may be firefighting mm. in a, you know, in our normal jobs, we do that. But like when you're creating content, that's coming from you. Your name is all over that. Like nobody mm. else is on it. And I think that makes such a big difference. And we've definitely thought a lot about that in terms of content creation. And yeah. I totally agree. If you're like not cringing about something you said, provided that it's, you know, <laughs> not yeah, like yeah. bad, <laughs> yeah, then exactly. you're not making enough mistakes. You're not taking enough risks. You're not doing it right. So yeah, exactly. That's, that's a beautiful way to put it. And I think the, the benefit about being a, a sole creator is like when you're, is, I don't have that many people to collaborate with or talk. I, I'm, I'm finding people in the space that I'm collaborating with more and more, but you know, that's, that's 5% of my time. 95% of my time is in my own head, which yeah. is, you know, and I've had to learn how to deal with that. And it's, 
that's an interesting challenge. But I see a lot of creators that struggle massively with mental health because of that, because it's super difficult when you don't have a, a panel, a group of trusted friends, a sounding board that you you know interact with on a regular basis. You get super, super like I do my best not to like you know, use my girlfriend as that sounding board. Cause she's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you spend all your time talking about your work and she, I was like, oh, okay, it's an insane amount of work, but it's fun. And you get to create something and you get to, like, that's the thing is if I stayed at Red Bull, I could keep doing that thing. I could keep taking home a paycheck I could keep doing a cool job. But now it's like, I can do like half of that to, and not as deep of a technical level and sans all the um, collaboration, but my reach is a lot higher to impact other people with that stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and offer like one of the, one of the most important things I love talking about is trying to find ways. How do I get a job in Formula One? I must've answered probably 200 something emails and DMS about that this year or more or more. I cannot imagine. <laughs> so that was actually one of our questions. What kind of like snippet of advice is it that you're giving out to, to people who are asking how to get their foot in the door? Um, Foot in the door is a difficult one, you know, because that's um, what I here's here's my 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 like 30 second. I'll try to do 30 seconds version of that. What you should do. If you don't know what you want to do, that's the that's like that's that's the stumbling block for so many people. If you don't know what you want to do, open up LinkedIn, go find these Formula One teams or racing teams. Formula One is not the be all to end all. Let's be honest. There's uh, if you want to be in racing, there's NASCAR, there's IndyCar, there's WEC, there's uh sports car racing there's so many series around that gp3 gp2 formula race you know like don't formula one's not to be all end all and i will say that because i've done it for a long time and the, the downside of formula one is you become very specialized because there's so many people turning all the small intricate parts of this machine and the lower down the formula series you go or the further away from formula one you get the more experience and exposure you get so mm. You know, that's that's part of the answering the question of what do you want to do? Go on LinkedIn, look at jobs, look at teams, look at what jobs people are doing and see which of those make a list. What sounds interesting? Then make a list of look at those people's educations and their backgrounds, because a lot of the people that I've talked to are coming out of high school or going into high school. It's like, whoa, you're already thinking about this. I was like, I was like <laughs> 20 something before I knew what I was doing, you know, so that's kind of the approach. Um, if you want to work in Formula One, you need to have the right to work in the UK or Europe and those countries, Italy or the UK those are, and, or Switzerland, which is basically it. That's a very specific scenario. Uh, the UK has a great path, whereas if you study and do a master's degree in the UK or an uh, undergraduate degree, I think, you have the right for a post-study work visa where you can stay in the country for two years. So those are super important. If you don't have a UK visa, imagine junior position at Red Bull two years ago when I did the interviews for the vehicle dynamics uh, placement, there was something like 500 applicants, right? Wow. Do you, do you think they're going to, for a student placement job that pays not that much money, you know, it's a foot in the door job. Do you think they're going to pay, do the lawyers and, you know, spend several grand to like, oh, this young person from, I don't know, California, we got to pay for their visa. We got to jump through all these loops and prove it now. You, you yeah. need to have the right to work in the UK and you need to demonstrate that for most of the teams. So that's super important. And there there are ways around it, but it's not cheap. But yeah. I've seen a lot of people that have done it and funded their whole way through this whole journey. So but it's not the only path. It's not the only path, but it's a good one. The UK master's degree for non-UK people is 
really good route for getting a job in the UK and Formula One. That's awesome. Great advice. Okay, well, last question to tie us out here. Okay. Uh, and we will not hold you to anything you say, but okay. any 2023 season predictions up oh. your sleeve. <laughs> you know what? I hate I hate predictions, so I'm going to make some terrible <laughs> ones. I, I, but like, it's one of those things like I, like I don't have the information. I know as much as you do right now. We don't know we call them. We call them hot takes. So if hot that takes. makes nah. it better for you. <laughs> I All right, so based on the end of the 2022 season, I think Red Bull – I don't see anything in the regulations that are going to knock Red Bull off of the upper end of the pack. I think um, the McLaren driver pairing this year will probably propel them ahead of the Alpines in terms of just driver performance. They've said some stuff in the press where they don't think the car is going to be particularly strong. So I think you're still looking at Alpine and McLaren fighting for P4. I don't... like. I think Mercedes will be closer and they will they i don't think they're going to finish first i don't think they're going to win a championship in 23 i just don't see it happening uh unless unless they've literally uprooted the entire thing and understood all the things but red bull spent a whole year ahead of them and they've done a better job of addressing all the issues much sooner and they had a car with a much broader window um that being said the fact that lewis I, lewis is one of the best drivers on the grid no, no doubt um the fact that Lewis is excellent and George has done very, very well. Yes, people argue he's been lucky. You make your own luck often. Uh, he's also been quite a bit of a terrorist a couple times, dive bombing the absolute <laughs> living hell out of some people. But like, he, he's <laughs> give him time. Um, I think Mercedes' strength uh, is that they will bounce back. Can do they have enough resource to bounce back this year? I don't know, but they probably have the strongest driver pairing you know, the sum of their drivers performance levels. I think they have the highest sum. Um, that'll be a weapon. And then I Ferrari have kicked out their their technical or their their team principal once they were finally you know, it's like things are bad. Let's get rid of them. It's like this is the best year you guys have had in a couple of years. So like I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then any I hope AlphaTauri can recover a little bit because they had a crap season. Yeah. I don't see Williams doing much better because I don't I don't see anything that's changed with them. Haas, random. Uh Renault doesn't sound like they fixed their engine problems. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, they're gonna be grenading around fourth, fifth, probably. Uh Aston. How do you guys feel about Aston pairing? I, I'm a, I, I need I to ask you guys. Go down. I will say I will stake. I think it's going to go down in absolute flames. Yeah, <laughs> we, I'm on that train too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This says it all. Just yeah. What saying. Same. Yeah, I think this says it all. Everyone's like reaction. We didn't say anything for a second, debating what we could say. You know how we've seen Let's... these these like YouTube boxing matches, right? 2023 is going to end with the Lawrence Stroll versus Fernando Alonso cage fighting match. There's going to be barbed wire wrapped baseball bats. There's going to be folding picnic chairs. It's going to be chaos. Except it's a tilted stage with Daddy Stroll controlling the puppet strings. No, no, I think it's going to be a tag team. It's going to be Fernando (laughs) versus who's going to who's going to tag team in with Fernando, though? That's... He doesn't need anyone. I think that's Ooh. it. <laughs> oh, he's gonna take both the strolls. I yeah. reckon. I reckon Lawrence 
Lawrence has got some power behind him. We'll see. Yes. <laughs> That's a good note to end on. I think that wraps up my 2023. <laughs> yes. I think I think we're going to see a little bit more of the same. Hopefully, I, I've done a little bit of the research and I haven't finished the video on it, but the regs have improved the racing ability. You know, you've got a new set of regulations. The gap is open. New regs. Red Bull made some gambles. Mercedes made some gambles. Like I, it's it's not it's not like it's everything's perfectly calculated. There is a little bit of luck in some of this stuff. Every time you get new tires, regulations, and everything else, um, but the better your tools are, puts you in a better place. And Red Bull made some better bets than Mercedes this year. All right. So you heard see. it here, folks. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. And I do not. Don't no, please nobody put money on any of that stuff because it's all nonsense. <laughs> well, we're so excited for that video. We will definitely post that. <sighs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll get it done as soon as I can. Thank you so yeah. much for your time today. This has been such a fun hour. I've I've had a blast. I hope I hope I I, I don't know if you guys thought that this was going to be super serious, but uh, it's never too serious for too long. <laughs> no, I can never. We no, always we like love to that. Have fun. Good. <laughs> no, we are not too serious. We love this. <laughs> I, I had a blast. Thank you for. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to invite me and waiting on me to uh, get my life in order to come hang out and speak with you guys. It has been awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, sharing this with everybody. Yeah. And everyone, when you listen to this, check out all of Break's other content out there. Thank you so much.